So, hey. <sighs> this was great, man. We should do this more. Episode two <laughs> of Cheesecake and Coffee. Jeez. Where's your coffee at? Right here. Right here. Oh, you need coffee, man. It's a uh, very, very special dandelion yeah. nettle blend. <laughs> Alright. The title. Whatever. We'll come up with that later. How are you? What's up with you, man? What's new? How's life? We're going to come up with it now. You want to talk about suffrage and anger? No, no, no. This is going to be a tradition where we come up with the title at the beginning. Okay. Cheesecake and coffee. Our podcast. So this is episode two. The title is going to be... Gotta make some money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Cool. Like How's it. your day? It's been good. You know, we've been working. Yeah. Doing our thing. You told me you broke some news today. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, I'm Michael. And you are? Brett. All right. You broke some news today. What was that news? I got to get a job. Uh, it's the worst. Uh, <laughs> I'm so upset. Hence the name of Right. Got to get some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did, you, what, how did you get to this point? Well, because um, you've, been, you've been technically working, right? Well, yeah, yeah. But, this whole time. But not like nine to five corporate style, blah, blah, blah. Right, I, right. So here's the beauty of, uh, of business, I think. There is the safety zones, corporate, you know, nine to five garbage stuff, not garbage. I take that back. It's rude. And then there's uh, entrepreneurialism, you know, and I think that there's uh, a little bit of a coitus that goes on with that, with those two concepts, especially when you're getting started right now. um, I had a kid, got in a motorcycle accident, Mm. had a few life events this year that have. uh, Yeah, your baby was born this year. Uh, well, yeah. Well, year? technically, uh, technically, absolutely, yes, this year. January 5th this year. That's crazy. Yeah. So your life has changed a lot, man. A lot <laughs> happened to you in one year. Yeah. Jeez. I, I took a year off of working, basically. Like, you know, having any paycheck coming in that's from a right. stable corporate thing. Um, and I've just been, you know, with you guys, been plugging into the real estate thing and trying to get the, the business off the ground with that. But uh, today, or yesterday, I came to the uh, the understanding after looking at my finances, it is time to time to corporate up for a minute. Oh, man, <laughs> going to the dark side, man. Yeah, I know, I know. I just I left the dark side. I know, I know. I saw and that. And you're joining the dark side. Yeah. That's not cool. Hmm. But hey, you have to do what you have to do, right? It's a means to an end. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I'm not. Uh, obviously thrilled about it. But at the same time, like I kind of missed working uh, with a team in a setting that's like you're not worried about churning up the capital and the cash and everything. It's like you're just there full bore to get the project done. Yeah, Yeah. you know, whereas like what we're doing is really cool. But at the same time, it's like there's that added component of like we got to get it closed or we don't get it. Well, and that's that's funny you say that because – I think that's a good point, but also I think that's also what leads to a lot of people being trapped in the nine to five conundrum. At least you knew that you were willing to step out of that and explore and be your own business person, right? 
And I and, still, that's the end game. And, and you still feel that way. But for a lot of people, um, you, just touched on, you just touched on something, and that's the safety mm-hmm. of being at a nine-to-five. And a lot of people don't ever venture out of that, uh, for lack of a better term, that safety net. Comfort zone. You know? Yeah. Yeah, well, and you know, like, I think my problem is uh, I am, by nature, I'm very entrepreneurial. Um, I'll do endless work for something that pays nothing. Right. And zero work for something that pays stably. Which is hilarious, but uh, it just goes to kind of show that I'm like a pathological entrepreneur. That's and a the problem with that is pathological entrepreneur. entrepreneur. That's that's. Uh, I like that. Yeah, I we like can that. change the name of the podcast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. Th- but the problem with that is, uh, you know, refining your entrepreneurialism uh, costs more than it pays in the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so very true. So uh, you know, the impasse has come. It's time for me to sack up for a minute. Yeah. I got a baby now, man. I got to, you know. You yeah, you have responsibilities. You have another human being that you're looking after. Right, right. You know, it's not easy. And I had a good goddamn year, man. I got to hang out and meet the baby and really be a part meet of the, the baby. Be a part of the whole thing for yeah. the first year. You know, it was really was funny. You, got, you told me a really cool story about how you came up with your daughter's name. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I can. I, um... My... My mom and I had a really awesome experience like a bonding healing experience uh, out in uh, out in the desert at a music festival and we just kind of talked about some stuff in our family and <clears throat> in doing that I had told her that she could name our baby well she wanted to name the baby Lucas which you know was the assumption that it was going to be a boy and she was pretty pretty under that Assumption for right. a decent amount of time. Sophia and I weren't too keen on the name Lucas. It's just a little too uh, traditional for us. Yeah. Arrow too, on the other. It was too basic. It was way too basic. My kid is not a basic bitch. <laughs> um, and and so you know, time goes on, and my mom said that she uh, had a kid come to her in a dream. My mom's always had really crazy dreams and like you know weird stuff. But she said that she had a child come to her in a dream, and she recognized that it was my daughter. This is after she knew it was going to be a girl. So this was before your daughter was born? Yeah. She said she was about six, and she came up to my mom, and she was very emphatic that her name was Arrow. And so I was like, "Uh uh-huh, for sure. You know, like, I'm not traditional, but I'm not, like, so hippie that I, like, you know, rainbow or whatever and name my kid. So did any of you? Did any of you? Did any part of you uh, question that? Or were you oh, dude! Because that's not a obviously that's not a, an average name or a normal name. Lady friend and I, we were like, okay, Arrow for sure. We'll chew on it. And uh, for months, we were kind of going back and forth about like, what are we naming this kid? Like, what what do we feel is like the name that's trying to come in for it? And one day, like we we also wanted a really balanced name for the baby. We wanted part her family, part my family, and then part, you know, something we had to say about right, this. And right. then I also had promised my mom that she could name the baby. So there was all these components that we were just like, fuck. But she, um, or I, one day was just thinking, like, what are some of the important people that Sophia has in her family? And then I thought of her grandmother, and her grandmother's name was Betty Elizabeth. And so uh, her name was Elizabeth, not Betty Elizabeth. Right. But uh, 
So I was like, what about Arrow Elizabeth Littlewood? Littlewood's my last name. And we both kind of looked at each other like, shit, that actually has a good yeah, ring. Yeah. You know, so my mom had actually told us later uh, that she had a second dream and the baby had come to her and they, you know, had some weird conversation. She was about six again and she had like reiterated, my name is going to be Arrow. And so I was like, well, we decided on the name and Arrow wow. Elizabeth is going to be it. So, you know, take chew on that however you want, but that. It's really cool, man. That's how it happened with us, yeah. It's really cool. Hmm. It's so funny because it's something I've thought about in the past when parents name kids. It's like, do they decide together or is it something that just one party just decides? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't... Well, I think I think it should be both parties. Yeah, <laughs> if you have yeah. an equidistant relationship, I think it, it shows if both of you have say in it um, – that naming the child is just like the relationship. It's a two-way street. You know? I mean, I don't know, man. I feel like you can't trust some people with names. Like, Especially your your significant other, right? Can you imagine <laughs> if they're like, oh, you know what? I feel really passionate. I think her name should be Bucket. Like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. People are wild, man. And yeah, yeah, well, Arrow's not far from Bucket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're both um, inanimate objects. You can make the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know what's funny is... We actually, I had talked to somebody that I hadn't talked to in a while, and they had a baby just after us, and we talked, and they said, hey, man, we named our kid Arrow, too. And they hadn't seen that we named our kid Arrow, so I was like, oh, shit, maybe we're at the front of a wave of new weird names that are coming in, mm. you know, something yeah. that people are picking up on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny. I have a um, cool story about how I got named to my, uh, my mom, um, apparently... I got told by several people that my name was going to be Michael, and these people didn't know each other. Yeah. So, I mean, the story's deeper than that, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's cool how people get names sometimes. I can't imagine being any, any other name. Well, and the, the name thing is really interesting because it, it... You know, I've never had... You don't really think about how weird it is that you're going to give somebody a symbol that encapsulates who this entity is. Like, right. it's a badge of who right. they are. And so... I, like, I feel like a Brett, but did my parents feel like I was going to be a Brett? Like, that whole... It's just a lot weirder having actually named an entity now. Right, right. Uh, than I really would have expected it to be. It's really kind of a cool idea that there's this sound wave that is a signature of your consciousness. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a wave in which you write this word that right. is associated with who you are as... A body going through this time frame you know right, it's like right. a really weird concept to me and all that stuff became just a lot more like there when i was going through this process you know like okay i don't want to just name my kid whatever is the most you know popular shit i want to like right. find out what a unique sound for this child right. to identify with the meaning behind it right. right it was very easy in my case, because my mom told me what the baby's name was going to be. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it, it worked out. It's just, it was a really weird concept, like, going through that whole thing and just saying, like, fuck, I'm responsible for the, this kid is going to be made fun of in high school. And probably a little bit because of her name at some point, I'm responsible for that. Right. You know, like, but it was a cool, it was like a weird, um, almost like a rite of passage, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I'll be there to mop up tears yeah. if somebody calls you. Yeah. Spar <laughs> Sparrow or any other of the annoying stuff that people are going to do. You know? Yeah. Have you uh, 
Have you been been paying attention to politics recently? With all the craziness that's going on in DC. I'm not very good at that, um, but I would love some enlightenment. Yeah, um, uh, it's been a lot going on with um, Congress and the Senate and the government being shut down. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I did hear that. <laughs> yeah, you did. I heard yeah. the government shut down, but yeah. well, I kept doing my thing. It's interesting. I know for me, when I used to live in D.C., I was more invested in the politics. But I've kind of learned over time, you know, like, I'm not really sure if um, the noise people raise really makes a difference. And I guess you can touch on that a little bit. I think we all like to, uh, you know, jump up in arms when things go wrong and complain and complain and complain. But, you know, the real question is, do people really have the power to do anything? For example, with the government shutdown, right? It happens all the time, like every year. I can't remember the last time the government shutdown didn't happen, you know, and it's happened with different presidents. It's not just one president it happens with. So it kind of begs the question I've been thinking recently, do the people have any power and say? It doesn't, it just seems like no matter who the president is or who gets voted in. Um, I think it, it's a great question. Gray. Well the, well, the reason I, well, real quick, I'll, now that you touch on it, the reason I said that is because things never seem to change. It's always the same. Have you noticed every four years it's the same themes when it comes to elections? It's, um, they talk about uh, immigration, they talk about um, health insurance, health care, yeah. right? They talk about vets, right? Well, I mean, you've seen, God, uh, Family Guy. That's about taxes. That's the fourth one. Yeah, Family Guy had probably one of the best <laughs> jokes about politics. Uh, Lois was running for like mayor or something like that. And, uh, she was trying to talk about the actual problems in politics, like what, how to fix the city, and did it. And people were booing her, and she started like saying something about the troops and nine yeah. eleven and whatever. And just her hitting those trigger words, like people would go wild and cheer, yeah, and like they so all voted true. her in because she just would like say like. Nine eleven. Right. Don't forget. You know stuff like that, and I think there is a part of that that's like you know like absolutely. I I I get all that, but at some point it becomes this like uh, mechanism to just get people to rally, like people well, okay. rallying behind a thing. But but it's not really about like I hate to be another person who's like they never address the issues, but they don't. Right. They don't have to. It's not the issues right. that get you actually voted in. It's like you really. I oh god, I'm gonna get into it. Okay. If you design a culture where everybody's really distracted with how good Amazon can deliver all these Chinese trinkets to your door, you don't educate yourself. Really what you do is you watch the great Netflix shows, you, you, you order your, you know, your fucking trinkets that disintegrate in 10 or 12 uses, and you buy another one because they're so cheap. You don't put any of the time invested into the community, into the culture, into the, the United States. You know? And so with that being the, the humdrum norm, then it's easy for you to just have these things that they're social normatives that are trigger points. If you go against something like 9-11, if you go against something like the troops, if you go against just the concept, you don't even have to be against it. You just have to say something that can be turned into it looking like you are against it. You're you're an easy target because the masses are always going to be like, the troops, 9-11, the blah, 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 whatever those trigger points are at the time, you know? Right now, it just happens to be those things. And so I think they just leverage... It's all marketing. 
right. really all it is is how good of a, a marketer and how well can you brand. It has nothing to do with fixing any of this stuff. To me, as an outsider who doesn't pay attention to politics, again, I have no weight in this. This is bro option, bro opinion, you know. But the reason I don't listen is because I, I, I get how hollow it is. Like, yeah, there's some things that get changed for sure, and like, get up there, Brett, if you really want to make change, be the thing. But at the same time, we still know that the masses only vote for one of two, and those two are usually probably the fucking same thing. You know, so like, what's the point of even running at this point? I honestly think technology is going to step in and allow for an outlet of people to change things. Like when we start voting on these, sure there'll be corruption and there'll be viruses and there'll be hacking and da 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 da. But at least like we'll potentially be able to have a direct voice into the the democracy again. But until then, it's like oh, there's every you know thirty people have to touch it by hand, and all of a sudden things get lost, things get added, things get blah blah blah. You know. That makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a never-ending, um, never-ending conundrum that we're in every four years. Mm-hmm. And what I don't understand is why people or we in general um, are so conditioned to be kind of like robots. Like you said earlier about the whole Family Guy uh, skit. You know, it's like why aren't people free thinkers? Why don't you realize when these things are happening that you shouldn't fall for the same old pitches that people have been doing for years and years and years and years and years? You know, same thing when uh, during the last election. You know, you can see how one party was more. Um, the tactics were just super different, mm-hmm. obviously, and one party was trying to talk about the issues, regardless if you liked that party or not, and one was just bulldozing. Yeah. Over. But you, know. but you know what? It was different. And was, I think this is a step it, in that direction. It was like, hey, at least you're not the same fucking wool being pulled over my eyes. At least right. you're taking a different tactic. And it maybe, you know, shit only changes if shit changes. And maybe we'll vote for the change, but not necessarily, you know. Again, I don't, I don't care. I don't, plus or minus. I think that politics is, has lost its grip. And I think what it is is it's for elitists, old-timey elitist-style people to make a ton of money with relationships and this power-ish thing that's existing right now. But I right. think that's all going to change, man. Like, uh, the reason why the government and, uh, you know, I hate to even say that because, you know, like, the government, big right. brother. But, like, factions <laughs> of all these uh, large corporations, all these things are kind of scared about public ledger and blockchain all coming up, up on the scene because what it's going to do is it's going to breed comeuppance. You know, it's going to show, like... Maybe they can't trace everything back to the beginning of, you know, virtual recording, but from here on out, they're going to be able to figure out, like, oh, you were quite a bit of an asshole to this thing and that thing and hedging this money and putting this here and there. So I I think that they're kind of shitting their pants a little bit right now, and that's good, but it also creates a lot of chaos in our politics, which, unfortunately, the people who are super power hungry are the ones who end up at the top of our food chain politically and financially and whatever, and they're the ones who... Uh, when they make these poor types of decisions, like which are habitual in our history of politics, uh, it affects all the people who aren't those like deep, sharky, power-hungry people. But hopefully this public ledger technology and all these, these new synthetic intelligences can help us to kind of weed out people who are really um, sociopathic in, in nature in a lot of ways. You know, a lot of these people are deep sociopaths. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, it really, it's really hard to argue with that. Yeah. Um, 
speaking about politics and the year coming to an end, uh, where do you see uh, things going next year? And actually, where do you see yourself? Actually, let me ask you that. Where do you see yourself? Uh, or would you like to be by this time next year? Are you are you the one to make uh, New Year's resolutions? Or are you more of a... I probably should. Yeah? I probably should because uh, my problem is systems. Um, I'm very willy-nilly. Um, I'm a flim-flam. Willy-nilly. Self, self, self-prescribed <laughs> flim-flam. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, um, my technique is... For, for for things, for manifesting, I guess, or for getting things done is I, less rigid than I would like it to be. So I think if I'm going to create um, uh, something that is like a New Year's resolution, it's going to be to be better at resolving my resolutions throughout mm. the year. <laughs> you, know, you, think, like, you don't think you do a good job with that? I mean, I'm not you like... You haven't done a good job with that I'm not year? like atrocious. I'm really good comparatively to, you know, other people in some degree, but... Right. But I, I think uh, there's always room for work. And I think for me, uh, creating a system, sticking with that system, and uh, discipline. It's discipline. I think life is discipline, man. And the, the funny thing about that coming out of my mouth is that I'm just highly not yeah. <laughs> disciplined. Yeah. You know, like I've loved uh, living the heart path, you know, like going, going forward based on how I feel in a lot of cases. And, and, but now I'm starting to realize that because I've explored that path so thoroughly that it's almost masturbatory in nature now. Like I have to get onto the other side of the human experience, which is <clears throat> um, uh, analytics. You, you know, know what? Let me stop you there. That's really interesting to me. I'm not buying your comment that you haven't been disciplined because you're one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. Like, uh-huh. I'm not even kidding. And through my whole life, intelligence and discipline have always come in a package. They're synonymous. So in your opinion, um, why do you, why would you say you're not disciplined? Because I disagree with that after knowing you. I love hearing that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh. Um, I'm oddly disciplined in ways that uh, are, I, I'm, I'm very disciplined when it comes to things I'm interested in. Um, I see. But when it comes to, you know, like I have, I have, a, I, have a, I have a family now and that, that doesn't just mean that I have to come up with a cool name, you know, like I have to, there's other things that are more uh, disciplinary they're more discipline based in nature that are, I hate this, but Offspring has a quote, the band Offspring has a quote that I've like legitimately battled with this over the years and it's just a short line. The more you suffer, the more it shows you really care. Hmm, and I've, I've gone deeply into the how much you suffer. The more it shows you really care. Hmm. And, and they, I think, I believe they say it ironically. I think they're saying it like, right. Cause the song actually says like, the more you suffer, the more it shows you really care. Right. Yeah. And I think it's like it, them saying like bullshit. You right, know, you right. can enjoy a relationship. You can enjoy this stuff. For me, I have. I'm very disciplined in things that I'm very attracted to. So like, if I want to learn about physics, I will straight up. I bought a car because I was. I, I wanted to learn how a combustion engine worked, and so I bought a car, and I tore a car apart and I put it back together, got it to drive, and sold it. 
And then I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, so like I'm weirdly disciplined about things that I'm like interested in doing, but not disciplined in things that are more so uh, family trajectory based things. You know, mm. like I've made money in the past, but I've, I, I haven't been disciplined with like long term money, money legacy. And I want to start getting into that. And, you know, I, I worked with all these guys who they did wealth strategies and dynasty trusts. And they, they, you know, these are people that like they're building long term wealth. And I had kind of an icky experience in some degree uh, with the way that it, it, it was expressed, you know, like and they were great people. I don't you know, I don't mean to like talk garbage on the people or anything like that, but like. It just wasn't my way of wanting to build a dynasty, and so I think it made me shy away a little bit from that to begin with, and I think it also fed maybe this counterculture thing that I have embedded in in me, just kind of coming up a surfer, skater, counterculture type kid. Right. Um, it, it kind of fed this whole thing that like money ends up turning people into those ways, you know. And right. I'm I've reappropriated that, and now it's time for me to get disciplined in these ways that I'm not disciplined or. Um, what I would say is balanced yet, you know. So I, I'm excited to approach it. It's just um, in the past, I, I've I've really explored the heart path, mm-hmm. and now it's time for me to explore the head path, but in an appropriate way, like kind of sew them together. Right, right. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's a good way to put it. So yeah, I had to challenge you on that uh, <laughs> on that mm-hmm. comment you made. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate that, man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. I I will say. The most discipline I have is being very um, self-deprecating. Like mm-hmm. I have a lot of discipline when it comes you, to me not so thinking I'm enough. In a, in a comedic way, or like in a really no, seriously, like, like I'm way. really I'm so hard on myself. Where does and, you that know, come from? You know, I was thinking about it this morning. It was funny. Uh, I I would love to blame my parents. <laughs> I'd love to talk to your brother about it. Mm. <laughs> but but uh, I I you know I think that in some degree there's that, but I also think that. It, it, I, I'm I'm a bit of a perfectionist because I preferred individual sports. You know, I liked surfing and skateboarding and stuff like that. Where it was like, I when I played on teams, I was always the best. When I when I when I was a skater and I was skating around all my friends, I was always the best skater. I was there were very few people that I'd be around where it was like they would be better than me. You know, so I think it was kind of bred within me in that environment, like the only person that can really challenge me is me. And so with that, it also, I think, got a little bit crooked and it baked into that whole thought or mentality. Like, the, I took the, the role of the person who's always judging, saying, like, you can do better than this. You can do better than this. That's not good enough. Like, right. you know, you can add an extra blah, 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 you know. And I think it, it kind of took this drill instructor voice and was always kind of like, you're not enough. Like, get to it. You know, yeah. you so, can be better than you are right now. I'm really interested in the comment you made about um, when you said that you would point the finger towards your parents. Like, how was it like growing up for you? Where did you grow up? Grew up here in San Diego. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Me siblings? I have uh, two brothers. Okay. One is my, uh, like, full brother. He's about three years younger than me. I have another half-brother who is 12 years younger than me. Okay. And uh, they're both uber rad but I grew up here and to be honest like I don't feel like we had a super bad thing you know like we had there's always somebody who has it way worse there's always a ton of people that have it way way worse than you do you know I grew up um, pretty 
chill. We had all the stuff we needed, you know. We had some, my mom was pretty poor. My mom was awfully poor. Um, Were your mom and dad together? No, they split up when I was about seven, maybe okay. six. Did I don't you know. live with your mom Both. Or dad? The joint custody. They both stayed oh. in San Diego. Okay. But I went back and forth. But, um, you know, my mom was decently poor the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, you know, he had this other, my stepmom, uh, pretty quickly afterwards. And so that kind of helps, you know, and they you know built something together which is a lot easier did you feel like thinking back do you feel like that affected you in any way shape or form yeah yeah I mean I was exposed to some not fun stuff you know uh both my parents uh drank a decent amount you know and that I I almost look at that as a plus though like I I decided pretty early on that I didn't want any substance to rule my ecosystem or my thought patterns you know so i've always had a really healthy relationship to vices and chemicals and whatnot i've 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 been good enough at destroying myself i don't need you know like an added component of addiction to deal with that so i always looked at i always counted that as like a really powerful awesome thing and i always one thing that i will give myself is that for whatever reason at a very young age i became pretty aware of people and energetics and stuff like that whatever that means but I just I was able to look at my parents and see the shit they would go through and take that as a lesson and really implement that in my, in myself. You know, right. it's some things, not everything. You know, I, I've tripped over some of the same hurdles that my parents have tripped over, but um, I, I feel like I've been making progress for us. You know what I mean? Right, like, right, I'm right. farther down the court a little bit than they than they made it <clears throat> in some respects. You know. So, um, if you have any advice to. Um, any younger kids out there that might be in this current situation, might be in, in a situation that you grew up in, yeah. you know, with, um, you know, bouncing back and forth between parents, what would you say, thinking back to, you know, what you experienced as a kid? Yeah, and I think anybody that has uh, their parents separated can identify with this, this idea that your parents uh, can and also cannot use you as kind of a weapon in mm-hmm. the middle, you know, which really sucks because... I got real good at being manipulative, and I think it has to do with that. Like, I was just exposed to these two adults who had a lot more understanding of um, relationship politics than I understood. And so, you know, there was always seating on both sides of the fence. They weren't, like, ferociously terrible. At least, you know, I can't compare an upbringing to other people's. Like, to me, I, I feel like it was fairly decent. They ended up in court and played that whole thing, and they kept a decent amount away from us, but... There was definitely stuff that, you know, it didn't feel good to have one parent talking about the other parent, you know, a certain way or whatever. And, you know, it created a pretty gnarly um, environment sometimes. And advice for anybody that's going through that that's, like, younger, I mean, realize it. I think it was really important for me to realize that, like, your parents are people. And I think everybody gets there at some point. But, like, as early as you can figure that out, that your parents are just people who their feelings are hurt they're like they put everything into a relationship or everything they were possibly able to put into a relationship and it got ripped out if they split up and that sucks man like i can't imagine not having my counterpart at this point like we're so embedded together and so i i just i can see you know after six years eight years ten years however long they were together i can't remember that shit sucks man that hurts and then have to like go through the 
the process of separating them, one of them found another, like that, it's it's right. gnarly stuff. So you end up doing stuff that I, I think you're probably not very proud of, you know, and it, and it matriculates into the children at some point. I just don't think there's a way to not do that. Right. And I can't, like, blame them. You know, they're doing the best they can. Everybody is. It's tough. It's just the advice would be realize your people are, or your parents are people uh, going through their human experience as early as you can and realize that life gets harder and harder in a lot of ways, you know, as you get older. And when you're a kid, you, you think it's like, just be happy. But, like, the added pressure of having to be at work and having two kids and all the shit that comes from that and now this whole upset and having to do it by yourself for a while and figure and all that like it's so heavy so cut them some slack you know love your parent the best thing you can do is be the person who when they're really venting to you and you catch that they're saying stuff that's not cool be like try and flex your compassion just tell them like hey you may be hurting and but that's my dad and you loved him at one point or that's my mom and you loved her at one point and what are what can you do that's more constructive for your understanding of them you know what can you do that's more constructive for you as opposed to destructive for them because destroying them is not going to fix what happened even if it's just destroying them in my eyes and you don't have to fight like that doesn't help anything that just puts negative energy out into the world for them you know so and thank you for sharing that by the way and um that leads me to my next question Mm -hmm. so did you feel like or thinking back do you feel like you grew up with some sort of resentment because I can see how for a kid being in that situation especially when it's not um, an amicable split and let's say just the dad wants to divorce or just the mom wants to divorce and the kid can see that as tearing apart their family mm-hmm. um, or the party doesn't want the divorce can say you know I didn't want this your dad wants this he doesn't love you blah 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 with going back to the um, manipulation you were talking about earlier yeah so how how does a kid deal with that? You know, how do you deal with that as a kid, feeling like you don't you're not loved by um, your mom or your dad because they don't want they don't want either want a divorce or they don't want to see you or you're living with your mom and obviously your mom can just you know take control of that psychologically and say you know your dad isn't shit or he doesn't want to be with you mm-hmm. and vice versa if you're living with your dad like you know this is what your mom wanted and um, here we are yeah. Well, I want to be clear. I don't really know what it's like to not have my parents feel like they love me. Like they, for sure, that's great. They kept the love there. Both my parents are awesome people, and they love their kids a lot, like a, a lot, a lot. And they did some shitty stuff to fight with each other through us, right. but they they didn't. Um, you know, they they they. I always felt loved, and I think that's to good. me that's the huge component for like the the childhood thing. Like your parents can be people. You know, they can have their errors and whatnot, but, like, if you have the love with them still and they, you feel like you can be nurtured by them and loved by them, like, that's the biggest component. That's the most important aspect of the parenting thing. So I always had that, but, you know, f- feeling feeling like, uh, you know, I, God, it's so funny. It's so both for me. Like, my brother and I had a relationship growing up that was, I've, I've never seen a brotherhood that equals ours you know growing up we were so tight because we went through this you know we went through the trenches we ended up with we were we were close enough in age to be able to communicate on the same wavelength you know um 
And so we legitimately, after our parents split up and maybe like a, a year or two later, we, we physically sat down and said, we're creating a pact. We'll never tell on each other. And we're never going to, uh, we're always going to do what it takes to make each other, like help each other out. We like straight up had this conversation at a very young age. Like we're packed in to be best friends and right. like help each other. And that we mentioned that pack, packed all the way up till we were 20, you know. And when our younger brother was there, we talked to him about the pact. You know, like, this was a real thing for us. And and it was, like, it was so interesting. It took our parents kind of splitting and and, and getting into that, that stuff for us to feel like we needed to figure out our own identities in some degree together, you know. And so them splitting was a huge beneficial thing for him and I to be some of the most tight-knit brothers I've ever seen you know so that was that was kind of interesting and maybe that's another little thing is like know that your siblings are going to be the person who knows exactly what's going on with you and if you are shitty to your brothers or sisters like nobody is going to going to be there 100% and understand 100% like a lot of the problems that people have with their their significant other you know somebody they're dating is that they just the communication doesn't work. They don't. They didn't go through the same experience. And your brother and your sister can really help with that. Like it's it. it that was a huge factor for me, and that right. helped us get through. Like when our parents would be doing whatever they're doing, you know, being who they are, you know, having these breakdowns and whatnot. It was always my brother who was able to like, you know, keep me from going nuts or doing something because of right. the recoil of my experience, my emotional response to them doing whatever so i don't know that was a huge huge component but it felt gnarly you know like it was also really really intense like having to figure all that out by yourself you feel in some degree like your family unit has been destroyed and especially when your one of your parents goes on and starts a new family like that's intense like you feel legitimately like a separate entity at that house you know right so i can't even fathom what it feels like to have been in that situation if you didn't have any siblings. Mm. Oh, you know? dude, I yeah, I can see people going crazy, you know, going crazy. Right, right. Do you do you feel like it's affected the way you view life as an adult and the way you view relationships? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I think I'm very uh, I'm so weird because I'm very non-traditional in a lot of ways, like I've mentioned. But when it comes to the family, like I want to be like tribal I want to be like you know and obviously everybody probably says this but I know I'm going to be really fucking good at communicating with my daughter when she's going through her crazy stuff I'm going to make sure she understands how to communicate how she's feeling I want to always have that safe bridge of like we can communicate right and I want to tell her like often in a very real way like I care about things that happen to you I can't be there all the time but I really like if you need to talk I promise you, I've been through it times a thousand. Right, like, right. I'll tell you what I saw. I know you'll come up with a better answer than me, but right. I'll tell you how I tried to get through it. You know. Yeah. How was your school life? Thinking back to when you were a teenager, how was how was that time for you? <laughs> I liked school, man. Yeah. It was. Um, I liked people. You know. Yeah. Uh, high school was. You know, I got lost in a cloud of smoke, but. Yeah. <laughs> you know but we all kind of we we get weird in high school you know um 
but I, you know, I was like the just I was Spicoli from Fast Times, man. I was like Uber stoner, surfer, skate rat, you know, punk. Yeah. But but I <laughs> did you go through the emo phase? No emo, no 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 emo. <laughs> you skipped that part? Yeah, I skipped it. I went straight to uh, straight to reggae. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I went. I I I did. Uh, it's so funny. Like I'm so odd. I was super into reggae. That's all that was on my um, my not iPod, but my. Uh, generic version of whatever my iPod, my yeah. MP3 player was. Um, but it was like 100% reggae. And my girlfriend and I met in high school, and she was like 100% punk rock. And we, like, <laughs> it doesn't yeah, make any sense, but funny. she was like, so we'd be, she'd take me to punk shows, and she'd have me hold all of her shit, like her purse yeah. and shoes, and she'd go into the mosh pit, and I'd be standing <laughs> on the edge just like, I don't get it. <laughs> That's funny. And then she'd go to reggae shows, and you know, we'd smoke a bunch of weed and be silly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so and then so you went from high school then so in high school did you have an idea of the type of person you wanted to be or no what you wanted in your life no you know and that's something i feel like i've always this is where i think i'm really hard on myself now is like because my parents were so i feel like on on some level they were so not involved because of the two extremes of what it is to be a human in in civilization or in culture now my mom was so broke that it was like always her trying to survive. And it's like that survival fear, she can't fully be present, you know? Because she's always worried about like, how am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to make ends meet? It's like, she was always, but she, we did a bunch of stuff and I hate to even like put it that way. Like my mom was awesome. We did all sorts of crafty shit and like, you know, but I feel like there was just this frequency on the back end of like fear and it wasn't something I really wanted to fully identify with and maybe it was me you know maybe not her maybe it was me not wanting to fully identify with my mom because I didn't like that thing on the back end there on her subconscious that she didn't see and with my dad he got rich you know um I don't know when I was uh going into junior high you know he not like uber rich but he made a ton of money um you know in the whole mortgage-backed securities thing and, uh, and this was why you were still in high school? Or this is when I was going into junior high. Okay. And uh, so he went the other direction, and I saw him not present because he was partying and getting to do the frat mm. thing again because he was he had all this money to throw around, and he was starting to take care of, at least from my perspective, again, you know, this is just all I have is my, my view of it, but he was starting to take care of the problems with money as opposed to with that time he used to spend, you know. And, you know, my dad's not the easiest to talk to about, like, deep heart stuff. He's getting way better now. Um, but back then, he was a lot more, you know... Yeah, what is it with parents becoming more understanding as they get older? Uh, got they it, understood man. that. <laughs> Dude, time is the all-knowing equalizer. You get all soft and jelly. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's good. I think experience, man. You start getting... Real shit starts coming up. It's easy. Biologically, puberty is like... It's ego getting injected into your body, you know? Puberty is like, go fuck and prove that you have the prettiest feathers, get buff, be the the most fuckable god out there. And then once that starts going away, you know, it's like, oh shit, now I have to ask all these existential questions Questions. and start solving all these problems. And I kind of did it ass backwards. I didn't give a shit about all that stuff. And I started asking questions early. Mm. And I'm starting to ramp into egotism maybe. But (laughs) keep an eye on me. But, um, you know, so my dad went the opposite direction and got really, like, deep into kind of just, like, I'm making money. That's my whole thing right now. So, because, you know, he was a carpenter before that. So he 
you know, and so I just saw these things in the back end that were like, I don't identify with either of these people anymore. And they were my whole unit, you know? So, uh, that was, I don't know that I forget where I was going with that whole point, but like, I, I think that's what kind of like tore me into. Yeah. I was asking if you knew what you wanted to, what you wanted. Yeah. Right. Right. So I don't like, I didn't really have an identifying role and I just, you know, I kind of, my identity became being the comedian guy, mm. you know, and, and I think that doesn't pay much. You do know? you, so looking back, does part of you deep down feel like, um, you becoming the quote unquote comedian guy was a way to kind of deal with your pain? Absolutely. I think everybody, I think that's almost become a cliche at this point in our culture. Like we use comedy as a way to, uh, to sidestep real issues that we have in our character because, if you're funny, at least you can get those cheap labs to get people distracted from the fact that you're, you know. And I think that directly feeds into, like, my self-efficacy issues and my self-confidence uh, problems are, have been have taken so long for me to really start heading, hitting them head-on is because I was so good at being the comedian. You know, I was, I'm smart. Like you said, I'm real sharp, and I'm really, really witty, and I can be funny as all hell when I want to be, and I stopped doing all that like I tried I mean I I try and be more of an appropriate intelligence but I was so bad a few years like five six years ago man I was so bad I was just pessimistic tearing people apart it was like a walking roast battle everywhere I went you know and so I realized how vapid that was and how shitty it made me feel you know so I I I realized that I had to switch that off you know and just be like the funny thing isn't really doing anything it's not constructive and it's time to start addressing some of these problems. Once I turned it off, that was the first decision. Once I turned that off, then all the things started bubbling up, and I was like, shit, how do I deal with mm. all this? Yeah. Wow, wow. Did you have someone that you uh, felt back then that you could kind of... You Sophia. Know? Okay. Yeah, my lady. Yeah, she's she's seen... Uh, apart from one friend that I had... I actually have a friend I've known longer than I've known both my brothers. Mm. Uh, he was a friend before my second, before my first brother was born. Um, and we kind of fell apart. Like he's gone down a religious route, and I kind of, I've gone down t- kind of the anti-religious route. Right. Not not atheist, but you know, you know like, um, whatever the fuck, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. But uh, but so we've gone tangential. But Sophia is the other person that's been there since you know, f- I mean, I was 15. You know, through the most awkward of awkwards. You know, so that's great, that's helped man. out a lot. That's great. I'm sure, um, in your eyes, that race for value. I um, sorry, in your eyes, yeah, in your eyes, that was your value. My brother and I were thinking about it. There's something special. There's a beauty about going through a journey with someone. It could be a life journey, it could be traveling, it could be whatever that journey means to you. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a beauty in that um, being with someone for a long time and then seeing the growth, you know, and being able to sit down and, and laugh about the past and say, remember when I was doing this? Remember when I was like this? You know, and just to uh, see where you are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's dude. a beauty in that. And we we have conversations all the time. It's like, dude, do you remember when we were talking about, for instance, like she's like, you remember when we were gonna move out, and we were gonna like, it was gonna be so awesome when we were thirty and just doing yeah. our own thing, and we're like <laughs> sitting here, and I'm like, fuck, I gotta get a job. I can't, I'm, you know, like I got shit I gotta do now. Yeah, it's just so <laughs> funny. Like it's just so yeah. like, like great to to pass that with somebody, you know, yeah. and have somebody really there. Um, I like God. I my mom has basically given up on relationship you know and it it hurts me so deeply when i see that i'm just like dude he... why do you think that is do you did she try to um 
still find love when um, after my dad yeah <clears throat> yeah but my mom is like impeccable with finding some of the worst people mm. like she's just got the worst radar you know and so like that's some shit I've had to deal with is like abusive boyfriends and all that sort of shit and yeah, I just like it's just her shit, you know. Like I think she's she. My mom has had a tough go, man. Like the reason why I think my life is peaches and cream is because my, and comparatively to my mom's, like pff, never will I have a justification for bitching about anything I've gone through. So, um, I, I, I feel like that's like a really just like an intense thing to also be part of my ecosystem is like seeing like how jacked my mom has been this whole life and and really wanting her to experience the shit I've found in a relationship but it boils back to really discipline like are you disciplined enough to know trust that the past version of you who chose this person to start this journey with are you do you trust yourself enough to say like am I the asshole in this relationship and am I willing to do the work on myself maybe what they're doing is really pissing me off but maybe it's not their fault maybe it's just my my hair trigger you know and like can you ask that question about yourself and then go past these, like, I mean, dude, my patience and my, this, the relationship is probably my biggest accomplishment. Mm. Sophia is my biggest accomplishment. Wow. Uh, and the reason why I really think that I'm so behind in business and all that sort of stuff is because I discipline the fuck out of myself in the language of love. You know, and I, I've really, I put everything I could into a relationship and it is one of the most gnarly, gnarly things, but if you get to a certain point, and I have a sneaking suspicion business is the same way, you get to a certain point where it all is downhill, you know? And I've seen that with small business uh, uh, checkpoints and whatnot, but I've never gone as far as I was willing to go with Sophia as far as, like, the disciplinary stuff goes, and that's kind of circling back to that prior conversation. That's what I'm, I'm very hopeful for is now that we are so solidified in what we've established... I'm excited to see similar mechanisms flip in this realm. Right, you right, know? right. That's cool, man. So, I mean, now that you're in your prime, mm-hmm. um, the prime of your life. Right, right. We should do some more crunches if we're going <laughs> to call it that. <laughs> Where do you see yourself um, ending up, you know, in a few years, five, ten years from now? What What's the vision that you have for your life? Um, this is really stupid and arbitrary. But yeah. I also think okay. it's not stupid and arbitrary. Uh, I don't know what it is, but... You don't know what it is? I'm, I'm about question. to tell you. Okay. I don't know what it is, but there is a picture of me on a very nice boat in Monaco smoking a nice little French cigarillo <laughs> in short shorts and flip-flops yeah. hanging out with the kid and the lady and a few friends and just fucking bullshit. That's good. You know, and... It doesn't have to be like my whole life, but I just see a really grand celebratory vacation right. after things start going downhill in a good way. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, my advice to you, honestly, is hold on to that vision as long as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember the movie Titanic? Remember I, how Rose held on to that plank of wood or whatever it was? Don't ever let go, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> don't be Jack. <laughs> no, seriously, don't be Jack. Uh, yeah. Hold on to that thing as... as, as tighten as long as you can because for me I've always had this vision of my life uh, where I want it to be the life I'm living now mm-hmm. you know I feel like I'm living my best life right now and 
since I was a kid, I had this vision of where I am right now, but I had no idea. You know, when I was 16, I was working at, at Costco and I was like, wait, so Costco and having this life don't really go together. So <laughs> even back then I was putting pressure on myself. I'm like, how does being at Costco, how does this, these, how does that connect with the vision I have for my life? Right. right. You know, and I was only 16, but you know, I held on to that vision and what I've learned is in life, a lot of times, is, um, it just comes down to not giving up. Mm-hmm. It comes out to not giving up because complaints, uh, complacency is a disease. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of people, most of the people on the, on the planet reach a point where it's like, you know what, it's just too late. You know, I'm never going to be able to travel. I'm never going to have that nice car. I'm never going to meet that great guy or I'm never going to meet that my perfect woman or whatever the issue is, you know. Um Dude, I've seen it happen like that. Dream, when My dad it, went when from it happens, carpenter it, to fucking yeah, owning yeah. a bunch of property all at once, man. So like it, it's my dad was you know forty something, right? You know, you have to hold on to that dream. I I met this really cool guy in San Francisco about a year and a half ago, and uh, he was he was super wealthy, and he owned a bunch of businesses. And he was telling me about uh, I met him in a cigar shop, and he was telling me about how what were you doing in a cigar shop, Michael? I was uh, trying to meet wealthy people. <laughs> <laughs> That's where they are, man. Cigar shops. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, he was telling me about how um, he approached his wife about a year earlier, actually, and he said he'd work. He worked. He'd worked in Silicon Valley for a while, so he had made some decent money. He said, "Wife, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot keep waking up every morning, going to work from nine to five. This isn't the life I want. I'm 50 years old. Our kids are grown. I can't do this anymore. I need your blessing to invest this money into my vision, which is or which was um, a fast food business. Yeah. Um, and his wife said, "I'm with you. I give you my blessing. Go get him." Yeah. A year later, he was a multimillionaire. What? What's the chain? Um, I have to. I have to look it up. Okay. But it was. And uh, it's so funny because, and this was in San Francisco, and when I met him, he said, I actually plan on opening a, another uh, restaurant in San Diego. Guess what happened two weeks ago? I saw his restaurant in San Diego. No way. <laughs> yeah. No way. So this is just a testament to um, the idea that you should never give up on what you want, man. It's so cliche, like, never give up on your dreams, blah, blah, blah. But it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. You know, because the second you give up, that's the end. Yeah. That is the end. No, I agree, man. And I, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about what is it about those those people that just follow those weird social normative triggers and everything. I think that's right. what it is. People who have truly given up uh, the reins of their own destiny hand it over to whatever the social normative is. And they're way likely to just judge people and go with whatever the crowd is yelling and all that sort of stuff. Right, right. And the weird thing is there's a crowd on both sides. Um, there's a crowd on both sides now, so you can – who knows where to go? Yeah. You know, and you can go anywhere you want, and it's all not really authentically you. Right, right. You know, and so it's so easy to get lost in this weird place of like, I'm just I, – I, I can't do it. It's too hard. Yeah. You know, and everybody you ever talked to that made it – like, well – there's people who were born into it, and you know, but they end up fizzling out pretty quickly no, a lot of the time. But people who have made it, like, it's not easy. It's not quick a lot of the time. Like, it can happen overnight, like I said, but like a lot of the times, like, 
that's not even sustainable. You have to get when you get those little bursts, you need to like have the system ready to implement. Like, here's how we're gonna deploy the net so that we're hedging ourselves and diversified and keep playing that game. But like, I think the whole time until you wait for that opportunity, like, I God, it's so corny, but uh, Eminem, man, like, uh, never miss your shot to blow because opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Like, right, right. you have to be doing all of that work on the back end of who you think you are so that when that opportunity comes, you're ready to do it responsibly and you don't end up like a lottery winner, make a ton mm. of money and then end up dying in a year or 18 yeah. months because you have a drug addiction that got fueled infinitely and you bought a car that you didn't know how to drive and you drove right. it into a tree. So cliche, but it's so true. You know what I mean? So, like, I think the best thing you can be doing up until you get that that trust from the universe or that, that opportunity, that 15 minutes is prepping your shit, you know, like getting ready to not fizzle out. Right. You know? No, that's very well said. Yeah. Um, on that note, I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Brett. I had fun, man. Thank you. Um, how can, uh, the people find you? Um, Instagram at Brett on the scene or at greatest realtors alive. Okay. Um, Nah, just do that. Okay. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram uh, at michael.skywalker, M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot Skywalker on Instagram. Until next time, guys. See you soon.